Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Felicia Mebin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University and Associate Dean for Community Engagement and Outreach for ODU, NSU, EVMS, School of Public Health. Yes, all of that, which is connected together. And this is Health Healing in Hampton Roads. And as a small note, one of the exciting things about this show, I think, is that it pulls all of those wonderful things together, especially with my guest for today, Dr. Brett Sierra. Hi, Dr. Sierra. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. So, Dr. Sierra, we like to start with some discussion or some presentation of who you are and how you're connected to Hampton Roads. So first, tell us a little bit about your academic training, because I know you have a lot. Oh, I do. (laughs) So I was born and raised in Chesapeake, Virginia, still there There all these years later. um, I did my undergraduate studies at James Madison University. And at that time, I was really focused on being a medical doctor. But over time, I decided, you know, I want to be more in the trenches than I would be in that. And that's where I really started to understand public health. And I had a calling for that. And with that, I decided to come back home, studied um, for the Master's of Public Health program at Eastern Virginia Medical School. After that, I went into the workforce, worked for Bon Secours, doing community health work. And that led me to pursue my doctorate in health sciences from EVMS uh, later. Nice. So that's the... What, is, what, is, what are the credentials again, a DHSC? I'm always very curious about that because yeah. people don't know if it's not an MD or a JD or a PhD, people may not be familiar. Yes, DHSC, so a practical doctorate degree. Nice. So I will have to admit I was one of those two. So when I went into college, I thought I was going to go to medical school, took all the biology classes, all the chemistry classes, got into physics and said, Maybe not. <laughs> so that's when I changed my mind. But I was already taking classes to um, enroll in the business school as an undergrad. So I graduated with a business degree. And then a few years later, made my way back to public health because of that combination. So I'm right there with you. Well, I always joke with my friends. I loved organic chemistry so much, I decided to take it twice. Oh, <laughs> good <laughs> Not one. my own choosing. <laughs> I do find it's good for sort of random facts. And when people talk about molecules or things like that, right? Water, what's the, on, you know, quiz shows or reality TV right. or something. I'm like, I get that reference. So there you go. So backing up a little bit, though, was there anything, What was there a specific event that happened or light bulb or you know, in other, in other words, from you changing from physician focus to more public health? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, no, there wasn't anything in particular, but I think there was just a culmination of events I was involved in growing up and through my academic life, which really persuaded me to go in this direction. I've been involved with a lot of suicide awareness initiatives, community garden development, and things of that nature. And I saw wow, if we put a lot of effort into prevention versus reactive medicine, I think that pays uh, dividends in the long run. Right. That's that's really great. That's great. I mean, for me, and one thing I like to advise students about when they're thinking about careers is I realize that, like, I've taken the Myers-Briggs test, and it came with a connection to systems analyst. Yes. And at the time, because the first time I took it was in high school, I went, what is that? But I've come to realize I'd much rather work on big picture conceptual 
projects and programs that affect a lot of people than the one-to-one engagement that a physician would have, for example, in their office. Not that they don't work with groups of people, but that I felt that it was a better fit because of part of the perspective of public health. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's sort of my line of thinking as well. And we saw this shift in uh, medical school education where we got away from that community-based education and moved to the individual. Oh, interesting. And now we're starting to see that come back a little bit. And we see that through medical education programs like community-engaged learning and programs such as that where we're starting to pull um, physicians and med school residents back into the field and seeing what impacts preventive medicine, population health management can have on patient outcomes. Right. Preventive medicine might be an oxymoron, but that's for another discussion. That's for that's for another podcast. So, tell me more about your current role then at EVMS and what you do. Yes, I'm so I'm an assistant professor in the Master of Public Health program, um, housed within the School of Health Professions at EVMS, and the track that I focus on is health management and policy. So, looking at our systems thinking approaches, healthcare strategy, policy and politics, and classes of that nature. See, I knew there was a reason I liked you, because I was a professor in health policy management, too, (laughs) earlier in my career. So there you go, connections. And I always think it's great, again, for people to hear the wide variety of ways that people who are designated public health professionals engage with health. Right. So you you might you might be the professor who's teaching the person who's going to run the hospital or you're doing big data analysis about the Medicaid program. And that's health policy and that's health management. Yeah, that's so true. And what I like to do is bring my practical experience into the classroom because it's one thing to look at the theory in the textbook, but that only goes so far. What are you going to do when you have to make that split decision in a nanosecond? And if I can share some of my testimonies and my experiences to help influence our future practitioners, you know, that's paving the way for me. Right, right. And that's what we need. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more, too, about some of your work, some of your projects, as I know professors, for folks who don't know, um, part of their emphasis is on teaching, but another part is on research and another part is on service. So tell us a little bit more about your research and service or practice-oriented work. Yes, a lot of my research right now revolves around housing equity and looking at this intersectionality between housing equity and health outcomes. So really excited about some work we're doing there in uh, housing, uh, lower-income housing communities and seeing some of the health benefits that are coming from that sort of work. So that's my main research area. Service area, I like to say I serve as a bridge between many different people doing many different great things. And in that sense, we have many health collaboratives in our community, which are addressing things such as um, those who are unhoused, those who are experiencing population health challenges, those who are or dealing with blighted communities, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So when you say population health challenge, I mean, what does that mean? Oh, great question. So we can go into the weeds with this, but different communities experience different disparities based on socioeconomic outcomes, based on built environment, based on other social factors. So one project that I'm proud of is the Greater Hampton Roads Population Health Summit, which has been around for about a decade now, give or take. And what we've done is really leaned on the Virginia Department of Health and what they're seeing as emerging disparities. And how can we trickle that information back to our local Hampton Roads community to have a wider audience, but also a more ingrained audience to address those issues? Okay, so... 
to reiterate what you're saying, you know, in public health, we're taught about what people now popularly people know is social determinants of health. Like we, we have been focusing on that for a while. But the idea is that, you know, a community in Portsmouth may not have the same challenges as a community in Norfolk and their experience outside of the medical care setting. So where they work, live, play, right? Public health, that definition right. is where you work, live, play, worship, you know, all of that matters, right? Yes. And so your, um, the air that you breathe in your house or at, in your work setting, um, the safety in your work setting, for example, um, whether or not you have sidewalks that you can walk on, whether or not there are playgrounds that kids can play on, um, whether or not um, healthcare services are easily accessible, whether or not there are grocery stores in the neighborhood, that combination of things is a focus when you talk about population health. So it's not just the individual, it's the particular circumstance that they live in, which can be defined as a population, which is a group of people, or a community. It can be a geographic or even a digital you know, community. So in other words, we're looking at groups of people, whether they're connected physically or not, and saying what is their experience on all of these variables, income, education, the built environment, and all of that, and then how is that connected to their health? Correct. And how does that add up to the health of the community? I couldn't have summarized that better myself. Yay. There you go. <laughs> I've had a lot more practice than you, you have. Okay. <laughs> Look, from communications experience, people, I'm not saying t- saying anything about my age, okay? But anyway, <laughs> even though I am older, but I digress. <laughs> so moving on to, so you've mentioned again, and, and you're absolutely right. I've, I've been in this community for about six or seven years, and I do see a lot of energy and enthusiasm for address, because these are complex. Yes, I mean, they are. So it's one thing, and medical care is part of that a part of that equation and imagine how complex it is to be a physician or a nurse or a pharmacist um, and then you add all of these other elements so the whole picture is very complex so there are quite a few groups I think in this area that focus on health equity that are focused on okay let's bring the housing folks together with the folks who provide medical care who do research and all, who who are in education with our academic institutions and so tell us a little, even more about the, I'm going to make sure I get it right, Greater Hampton Roads Population Health Summit. So who, who would you say is the, is there a leader of the group or a group of people? I mean, who, who keeps it going? Who facilitates it? Yeah, great question. I would say if we had a de facto leader for the group, it would be the Brock Institute, uh, which is a part of Eastern Virginia Medical School. And they really serve as the the shepherds, for lack of a better term, for motivating the group of stakeholders to getting this project done every year. I would say we have a very enthusiastic group made up of the hospital and healthcare systems in our area, made up of the higher education institutions in our area, made up of local nonprofits that are also part of that safety net um, to help our community members thrive and achieve wellness. Mm-hmm. And the Brock Institute is led by one of our former guests for the show, Dr. Cynthia Romero. So hi, Dr. Romero. Hello. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what is the summit then? So the summit is a culmination of about a year's work every year. Like I said before, we've done it for about a decade. And we're focusing on emerging disparities uh, in our local communities. This year, we're focusing on food insecurity, which has become a big hot button topic nationwide, but also specifically in Hampton Roads, 
we're seeing many closures of grocery stores, many food deserts, and that's really impacting uh, people's ability to access uh, healthy foods in their own communities. Mm -hmm. Several people have to travel miles away to get access, and then they become reliant on convenience stores. Not to say that convenience stores don't have healthy options, but that may not be top of mind. So how do we look at this from a systems approach and determine how can we have some intersectionality between food access, between health outcomes, between built environment? Using those buzzwords again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, and we'll get back to that. Okay, so let's define a few. So what's a food desert? Yeah, food desert is a designation for an area that does not have a grocery store or other healthy food options within about a mile, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And the built environment? Built environment are any type of resources you have in your community, housing, streets, adequate lighting, schools, uh, public safety, things of that nature. Okay. So it's more than just the physical layout of it. It's the access to all of those things together. Okay, great. So again, it's a summit, but what does that mean? So the summit, we have a, I didn't answer that question, did I? <laughs> That's so, why I'm here. <laughs> thank you. So the summit is a half-day meeting where we bring community stakeholders, community members, as well as providers in the public health space together to discuss these topics and try to determine solutions. And solutions are difficult. They take sometimes generations to achieve. But if we can start laying the roadmap forward, we can provide success in our lifetimes, but as well as, you know, our children and looking at those generational improvements. And I was going to ask you that, too, is I think sometimes people, just to be real, uh, people can do a lot of events and you're doing things, but it may not seem like it's having an impact. And But you've answered part of that. You're drawing attention to the issue, raising the salience of it, and then actually bringing together a variety of stakeholders to really think about and discuss what can we do that will make a difference. Yes, that is so true. And I will be, I will be honest, I'm guilty of this too. I say, why are we meeting? And we have to look at the bigger picture. And if we don't mention and we don't bring up a topic, we're not going to address it. It's not top of mind. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I teach um, health policy and politics. And one of the first things you have to do is to raise the salience of the issue because there's so many conditions out there. So it's John Kingdon's political science model of you know uh, political change. <laughs> and he talks about you have to, like, there are conditions. So right. my height is a condition. The number of people who have cancer is a condition whether or not a community has a grocery store within a mile is a condition we there are so many conditions that we can't address all of them so you have to first define it as a problem yes so the rate of the cancer rate or the cancer um, distribution is higher than it used to be or high compared to other groups or um, there's some connect, you know, there's something that has changed in the environment that would precipitate the argument that we need to do something about it. And so that that's part of what this can be is drawing attention to it and defining problems and thinking about what the solutions can be. And that can be the first step towards action, which is what we really want. Right? Yes, that's what nice. we want. So. Now, have to admit, again, I'm on the planning committee for this for this year, for the summit. And one of the things that I'm excited about for this experience is that the theme is around 
tension. There's a tension around this, right? Because yes. again, you can talk, talk, talk about the issues, but as you mentioned, there are a lot of challenges. And so to really elevate that, we know that there are challenges out there. We've said, okay, let's focus on where some of those tensions are as a first step towards, you know, prioritizing the issues or approaches. Okay, so I'm going to share the title. I have to read it. It's called, for this year, Addressing the Catch-22 of Food Inequity and Nutrition Wellness. And I remember we had a lot of discussion about that because when you talk about nutrition, and there are just so many different ways that you can go. So remind or share with everyone how we got there. It took a lot of planning and... Nutrition wellness is a very, I would say, hotly debated topic now because we're seeing so many different diets being adopted. You know, in traditional medicine, we looked at the Mediterranean diet as the pinnacle of what society should achieve. But we're also seeing movements in veganism. We're seeing keto diets, things of that nature. Paleo. Paleo, yes. Like whole, just focusing on whole foods, yes. whichever one that is. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, my takeaway from all this is, the diet that is most beneficial to you is the one that works. But there are many communities where they don't have those choices because they don't have the resources required to make those types of choices. So that's really one of the catch-22s we're talking about, about food insecurity and nutrition insecurity with this summit. We know what best practices are, but how do we reach those best practices? And that takes a community-driven approach to determine okay, what resources do we need to embed in these communities? What do we have already? What are access challenges? Do we have enough SNAP benefits in communities to be able to buy these healthier options? Things of that nature. Right, right. Because I think one of the frustrations that people have with public health professionals sometimes is we promote, promote, promote. You need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. Okay, well, that's nice. I understand that. I can't, you know, so you're asking me to exercise on a regular basis and I work two jobs and I have a child and I have to, you know, take care of things. How am I supposed to fit that in? Exactly. Um, And so same thing. Everybody says, you know, nutrition, that's part of wellness. Everybody should eat right. Okay, that's nice. I understand that. How am I supposed to do that? Right. If I don't have a car and the nearest grocery store that has reasonable options that I can afford, is five miles away. I can't do that on a regular basis, you know, along those lines. And so, again, as you said, part of it is let's raise, let's raise, focus some attention on that. Let's raise the salience of those tensions as a way to draw in people to the discussion and solutions. Yes, definitely. And, I mean, we've seen this play out in Hampton Roads over the past decade. We've seen this mass exodus of grocery stores, especially in underserved communities. And, that's caused many tensions in our local mm. area. So we're starting to see some reinvestment by uh, either private grocery stores uh, to bring these types of resources back to communities. And there are challenges there, of course, but I think it's moving in the right direction. That's great. So how has Chesapeake, for example, changed in this way? Yeah, great question. So one of our major grocery stores in the Chesapeake city was Farm Fresh. And Farm Fresh uh, went under a couple years ago. They closed Hmm. and they left a lot of retail space empty. And a lot of people relied on Farm Fresh, for example, as a grocery store of choice. 
Now, we've seen some other grocers move into those spaces, such as Kroger's and Harris Teeter's, but people that have been in, let's say, Chesapeake, for example, have a connection to a grocer, and they built this relationship over several decades. So it's hard to build that trust and make sure you have comparable uh, selection of produce and other items. That's interesting. I've never thought about that, but you're right. It's almost you can almost tell a region by the reference to the name of the grocery store yes. because they're not everywhere. But also, I just just thinking about the pattern of lives, right? Like I go to the grocery store once a week, and I go to the same place, and they start to recognize you. Yeah. You know where everything is. I have my pattern. I start on this side. I go to that side, and then. If it's connected to the food that I'm making at home, for example, that pulls it all the way into my house. Like it's sort of part of my, my, my family experience. I hadn't even thought of it that way. That's, that's a good point. Um, and on the other hand, I also know about co-ops and totally different models for yes. providing some of these stores that embeds it in the community and gives then people the experience of running the store, of localizing the distribution of Produce, you know, fresh products as well. Yes, um, when so I lived in Harrisonburg, we had a great co-op. I forget the name of it, uh, so I feel bad about that. <laughs> but I shopped there frequently, and it was community-owned, uh, community-employed, and employees owned stakes in that co-op. So we really saw that community engagement and involvement with the co-op. Right, right. And again, I think that's the value of having institutions like UVMS and Norfolk State and even our partners at at ODU in terms of, as you were saying, we're training professionals to think about this variety of options, to be able to advocate for that kind of empowerment of communities, to say, hey, we have a need, this is how we think it should best be solved, and I have the tools because I'm in Hampton Roads and have some training or some education or, or whatever it is, you know, I have the ability to do that, like to make that happen. Yes. So that's an exciting part of this region. It really is. And there's just such, to use the buzzword, community. Community in the sense of geographical location, but community in the sense of people engagement and people connection. And we're seeing those those relationships really motivate the public health direction in Hampton Roads. Right, right. And it will even more as we build the new school of public Completely health. Completely agree. Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Let's share the details about the summit. Sounds <laughs> right? good. So it's going to be on September 19th. Again, it is hosted by the Brock Institute at EVMS or Eastern Virginia Medical School. And to give folks uh, more information, it will be from 8.30 a.m. until noon on that day. It is hybrid, so you can join us in person because we will be there we will. in person. Dr. Sierra and I will be there in person. But it also will, will be broadcast online, so you can do that as well. We have a couple of ways you can get more information because we really encourage everyone, you know, even if a lot of what we're discussing is not familiar, you are welcome to join us and um, connect with folks who are excited and passionate about these issues and are, as you said, engaged in the community and engaged around these topics, um, all the way from an academic perspective to, okay, uh, engaged in advocacy in communities to make things happen. So the first way that you can find the event to sign up for it is on Eventbrite, and that's B-R-I-T-E, one word, Eventbrite. So you can search for the Greater Hampton Roads Population Health Summit 
Again, title, Addressing the Catch-22 of Food Inequity and Nutrition Wellness, at least the title for 2023. You can also send an email for more information to brockinstitute at evms.edu, so that's the Brock Institute, or call them at 757-446-6027. We were going to share their website. It's kind of long, but you can also look up Eastern Virginia Medical School or evms.edu and the Brock Institute. So those are different ways that you can find out more information about the summit as well as engage. I mean, who knows? Maybe you'll be motivated to pursue a degree in public health or get more public health training. (laughs) And then you'll be right there with us um, on a panel or something next time around. So as we close out the session... Is there anything you wanted to share more about the work that you're doing or your support of the summit or any other ideas that you want to share? I would say community engagement and involvement is key in public health. And I encourage everyone listening to this podcast today to find something you're passionate about in your community and speak up about it and get involved and engaged. That's how we motivate change in our area. So Mm -hmm. this isn't just a me or Dr. Mebin thing. This is everyone. Everyone plays a role in this. Absolutely. So whether you're listening live on the radio or listening to the podcast later, that is the message. We encourage everybody to um, be involved. And if you want to connect with public health initiatives at Norfolk State, you can send me an email at publichealth at nsu.edu. And so, again, we are super excited, Dr. Sierra and I, to engage with everybody around these really important issues. And I want to thank you for being here with us today. It was very, it was great. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me on. You're quite welcome. And again, thank all of you for listening. I am Dr. Felicia Mebin, Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University. And this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads.